0: Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Kathleen Babb on November 20, 2017. Kathleen is the author of the book The Persian, a novel that takes place during the 19th century about a European professor and his experience in Persia and his fascination with the prophetic missions of the Bab and Baha'u'llah. Kathleen later told me in an email that she, her husband, and daughter lived in Japan for 22 years, and despite the absence of English-language research materials, thanks to the Internet, she was able to do research and obtain materials she needed for the book. Trying to write a novel amidst raising and caring for her family, working part-time and being busy as a Baha'i, meant that it took her 16 years to complete. At one point, early on, when she first arrived in Japan, she had serious doubts about completing the project but one of her Japanese co-workers, Machiko Ishii, pointed out that she should write it as an inheritance for her daughter, something she would someday value deeply. She thought this was good advice. Living in a country where she had to learn, read, and speak, and hear a totally different language gave her the experience to write with familiarity about what her characters in her novel had to go through. Kathleen reads an excerpt from her novel in the interview. I started the interview by asking Kathleen where she grew up and what was religious life like.
1: I grew up in Southern California, out in the San Gabriel Valley, about 27 miles from Los Angeles. It was a a mixed town population of Hispanics and European immigrants. But it was the perfect place religiously because they had a big Catholic church. I am a second generation Irish American. My mother came from a very large Catholic family, but my father was Presbyterian. But it was important to my father to have religious unity in the family. Even though he tried to become a Catholic before they were married, the church wouldn't let him because he had previously been married but there were no children from the marriage. Still, he couldn't have the unity that he wanted. But my brother and I were raised in the Catholic Church. Um, After school, we'd go to catechism classes, and at the age of eight, we had the First Holy Communion.
0: So, Kathleen, I have a question. Yes. your you said your father couldn't marry your mother... In the Catholic Church? Is that what you said?
1: Yes. All right.
0: So, did your mother then, was she fallen away Catholic as a result, or did, or how did that get resolved?
1: That's a very interesting question. No, her family was very strongly Catholic, and she just continued, but they were sort of like what I would call holiday Catholics, Mm -hmm. which means we attended church on Christmas Eve, and Easter, and, you know, just intermittently in between, but not too often.
0: So your mom and dad didn't get married in the Catholic Church then?
1: No, it was Protestant Church.
0: All right, so continuing story. So you received your catechism when you were at what age?
1: Eight years old. Somehow, when we went to junior high, we didn't continue on with catechism classes so we didn't go through confirmation. This sort of slipped by my father. No big deal was made of it and I find that it was really rather significant when I became a Baha'i. One thing also that helped strangely when I became a Baha'i was I didn't have any obstacle to my strange notions of the the Trinity. You know, they used the example in catechism class of uh, the clover leaf, you know, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But to me, it seemed, if there was a Father and a Son, they couldn't be the same. And so, therefore, I never really was indoctrinated into the idea that that jesus christ was was god yet of course i understood that he was a very unique person with unique gifts it was easy for me to accept him as a manifestation of god as we Bahais call the um prophets or messengers of God that come down to us through the ages.
0: So I have a question, Kathleen, before you continue your story. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: Uh, And by the way, I'm speaking with Kathleen Babb, author of the book The Persian, which we'll get to in a little little bit. Um, So, Kathleen, even though your mother and father were married in the Protestant Church, your mother still had an attachment to the Catholic Church, and therefore she still wanted you to Be raised, quote unquote, as a Catholic?
1: Well, I think it was both my parents' desire that we be raised in one religion or the other. Since it was important that my mother continued as a Catholic, therefore we were raised in the church.
0: I see. All right. Okay, so continue on with your story then.
1: Well, the way I found the Baha'i Faith was that. When I was a junior in high school, my father died, and my mother decided to take up work with some friends in Hawaii. So in the summer, after my junior year, we moved to Hawaii. I started high school there, but I really longed for my friends back in California. So making arrangements for me to go back, My mother and I parted at that point, and I stayed with a family that were our friends and returned to my graduating class. When it came time for graduation, my mother came from Hawaii to attend. On the plane back, she warned me that our neighbor was a religious fanatic, and to be careful But within the week, our neighbor came over, and she invited me to a youth fireside. A fireside is just an informal gathering where Baha'i, in this case, Baha'i youth, introduce the faith, talk about the faith. And then there's a period of question and answers. I said, sure, I'd be glad to go because I knew that it would be an opportunity for me to meet young people my own age. But before we went, she brought over some pamphlets for me to read as sort of an introduction. And what I read, I found very logical. It didn't seem fundamental to me at all. It was perfectly sane. That's how I first learned about it. But there was a a bit of a difficulty between my mother and I when she heard I wanted to join the Baha'i faith. She had no objections to the faith at all. And she didn't say this, but I got the impression that she was worried that if I became a Baha'i, her relatives would find out and, you know, just really be upset with her. She was the youngest of the family, and so they always sort of saw her in a not a very orthodox light. Anyway, I explained to her that I really felt that I needed to make this decision myself, that I was responsible for my own spiritual life, you might say, and uh, I joined the Pi faith. Between then in the next summer when i returned home from college my freshman year in college she noticed a change in me i was much more you might say less rebellious if i've ever had a rebellious streak that comforted her greatly shortly after that first fireside i had a dream and in the dream i saw this man i couldn't see him from the front. I just saw him walking from the back, and he had a red robe on. Oddly enough, on the back of the robe in blocked letters, all capitals, it said DEB. And so the next day when I woke up, I looked up the word debutante. It means, uh, the dictionary said, one who was making their social coming out, so to speak. And I thought that was really significant. It was an answer to my prayer because when I said my prayers that night, I prayed that if Baha'u'llah really was the return of Christ, that I would be given some sort of sign. And yet, I really didn't believe that I would, that that would be given to me because things don't happen like that. And then at the time when I was having difficulty with my mother and her objections, I had another dream about a Middle Eastern man in long long flowing robes walking up the side of this mountain. It started out that I was climbing up this sheer cliff and I was climbing hand over hand on barbed wire. It was, the rope was not a rope, it was a string of barbed wire and I got two-thirds of the way up and I looked down and there was the ocean and rocks below me and I thought, if I let go now, I'll fall to my death and so somehow I managed to get to the top. And there I was greeted by this Middle Eastern man, and behind him was just a whole flow of humanity. I knew that I would be welcomed into the Baha'i faith and that I wouldn't lose it. I wouldn't lose that thread of spirituality.
0: So Kathleen, I have a couple questions about your dreams, which are very interesting, by the way. So I'm speaking with Kathleen Babb, author of the book, The Persian, which we'll get into in a little bit. My first question, Kathleen, was, can you tell folks what the significance of the Middle Eastern man and the mountain and the, uh, I think you called pathway to the ocean, why that was significant?
1: At first, I I believed that the man was was Baha'u'llah, but the more that I thought about it, I realized It was Abdu'l-Bahá, his son, and the example and the leader of the Baha'i faith after Baha'u'llah's passing.
0: And why did you come to that conclusion, Kathleen?
1: Um, Because of how he was dressed. And he also seemed to have white hair and a a white beard. And because I had seen pictures of Abdu'l-Bahá, Mm -hmm. And I had never seen a picture of of Baha'u'llah. That really is kind of something special for us Baha'is, is is to see the photograph of Mm Baha'u'llah.
0: Which folks can do when they go on pilgrimage to Haifa, Israel, where the um, holy places of the Baha'i faith are.
1: The significance in the dream of the mountain is that I had heard of the mountain of God. Mount Carmel was really an important place for Christianity and for Judaism and for Baha'is as well. So I just assumed that that was the mountain that I was trying to reach. Going back just a little to when I first became a Baha'i, shortly after that first fireside, I was taken to a gathering, mainly a gathering of Baha'is, but there were people who weren't Baha'is there as well. And I looked around the room. I just experienced being in the proverbial flower garden. There were people of many different colors and, and shapes and speaking. It was just really confirming. It made me very happy.
0: So what made you decide to actually become a Baha'i?
1: Well, again, as I said, I, I agreed with everything that I heard about it. There was nothing negative or strange.
0: So I'm speaking with Kathleen ba- Kathleen Babb. I'm almost saying Bob.
1: Cause <laughs> I know. Yeah, actually, when I first met my husband, he wasn't a Baha'i. He told me his name Kim Bab, and he spelled it for me, and I thought, oh my goodness, it's like the (laughs) Bab, who was Baha'u'llah's forerunner, another manifestation of God that came shortly before Baha'u'llah to tell the world of his coming, the Muslim world of his coming, and to refine Islam at that point in preparation.
0: Right. He was the uh, promised qaim for the Shia Islam faith.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And Baha'is, as you said, Kathleen, look to the Bab as fulfilling the role of John the Baptist in preparing the way for Jesus. However, in the case of the Bab, Baha'u'llah and the Bab himself says that he's a manifestation of God, of the same station as all the messengers of God who have Founded a religion like Jesus and Moses and Abraham, etc.
1: Right. The manifestations of God, we're told that one way that we can know them is that one, they will bring a book, and that becomes the scripture for their followers. And they also speak of the ones who are going to come after them. And there's a third one. They speak of the unity of God. They establish the same spiritual teachings as the others, but the laws that we refer to, the social teachings, are different, depending upon the exigencies of the age in which they come.
0: So I'm speaking with Kathleen Babb. She is author of the book, The Persians. So I'd like to s- turn the conversation in the direction of your book, Kathleen. So what inspired you to write this book?
1: I guess it was reading The Dawnbreakers by you- Nabil, which is um, a history of the early faith, particularly the Bab's coming and what happened during that time before he was shot by a firing squad, but it also included Bahá'u'lláh as well. It's just so inspiring, so moving. These early believers were just so courageous that it's, it's really hard not to be moved by it, I think. So that was one thing that inspired me. Another thing was, that I started to do my own research in regards to the early history, using the footnotes and the bibliography in the back of the Dawnbreakers. One person that I grew fascinated with was Edward Granville Brown, the Orientalist at Cambridge College, who actually was one of the very few Europeans who really met Bahá'u'lláh. E.G. Brown was very impressed with the Baha'i Faith and Bahá'u'lláh and Abdu'l-Bahá when he met them. He published things about the faith. Eventually, he got sort of disillusioned by people who putting negative ideas in his head, things that weren't true. So his enthusiasm waned. I'd
0: like to interrupt the recorded interview for one moment to explain what Kathleen Babb is referring to when she says that E.G. Brown, the European Orientalist, was disillusioned with the Baha'i faith. When E.G. Brown first became aware of the Bab, he was greatly impressed with the Bab's messianic mission. So he naturally followed the progression of the Babi religion after the Bab's martyrdom. One of the fundamental tenets of the Bab's teachings was the coming of him whom God will make manifest. Bahá'u'lláh, who was an active adherent of the Babi religion, had natural leadership qualities due to his own station as a messenger of God. Bahá'u'lláh had a half-brother that was very jealous of Bahá'u'lláh's position in the Babi faith and became especially inconsolable when Bahá'u'lláh made known that it was he whom the Bab had referred to as he whom God shall make manifest. Although his half-brother would often undermine Baha'u'llah's efforts, Baha'u'llah would overlook these things and treat his half-brother with kindness. His half-brother was so distraught that he poisoned Baha'u'llah. Fortunately, it was not fatal, but it caused Baha'u'llah physical suffering for the rest of his life. For Baha'u'llah, this was the last straw. So he separated himself completely from his half-brother and the followers that were aligned with him. Baha'u'llah refers to this as the Great Separation. He even renamed the Babi religion to the Baha'i Faith to make clear of this new distinction. It was this episode that so disillusioned E.G. Brown. We'll now return to the continuation of Kathleen Babb's description of her novel, The Persian.
1: So I thought as an author, what if what if someone did meet Baha'u'llah, a European, and eventually did become a Baha'i, despite negativeness. So that's what got me started.
0: So could you give us a little synopsis of the book without being a spoiler?
1: <laughs> I will try. All right. Like E.G. Brown, Robert Grayson, who's the protagonist, is a college professor and an orientalist and a doctor. Did you know that E.G. Brown was a doctor? No, I didn't. Yeah, that was the first thing he studied. Anyway, that helped in the book. He had applied to, now this is Grayson. Right. He applied to the Foreign Office for Foreign Service in Persia. He took the Foreign Office exam and everything. Everything was fine, but uh, they never called him. Or I should say, at that day and age, <laughs> he, he would get a telegram. But then he threw a little help from his colleague at Oxford, a gentleman that was rather connected. He got a telegram and said that his services were needed in Tehran at the uh, legation there. So he eventually goes. Within the month, the first month that he's there, he's invited to the royal hunt. There he meets a gardener who quotes to him a sound bite (laughs) Uh, from the Bible. Grayson was really puzzled by this because Muslims, not even the clerics, know enough to quote from the Bible. So he pondered that and then he volunteered to go to the prison in Tehran to see to the medical needs of the prisoners there. There... At the prison, he meets a man who speaks about the promised Chayim, which is the title for the Bob. So when Grayson returns to the legation, he asks his boss, you might say, who was the head physician at the legation, if he knew what that meant. He was told it meant the bobs but he was warned very much against Getting involved with that, learning any more, it wasn't worth it, but more. Especially, he was told that it was dangerous. His best friend in London, Terence Thurston, also a doctor, had gone to a gathering of Persians in London. He heard about the Bob for the first time. And so he went to the library at the University of London and um, found Gobineau's book, a very long and detailed history by a Frenchman.
0: whose last name uh, was
1: Gobineau. Gobineau, yeah. And he was very moved by it. He bought a copy and sent it to Grayson, also asking him if he could find out if there were any Baha'is in London, because he didn't want to go around seeming too interested in it, especially in your relationship to the Persians that he knew. You see, The Persian, it is a very lengthy book. It has subplots. The reason why I wrote The Persian was for the general public people who had never heard of the Baha'i Faith before. In the back of the book, there's a glossary of Persian terms that I use. Sometimes within the text, I do state what it means.
0: So I'm speaking with Kathleen Babb, author of The Persian. Kathleen, do you have an excerpt you'd like to share with us?
1: Oh, yes. This is an excerpt, but... I need to explain more about the book. Grayson, after nine months in Tehran, gets a letter from his college in Oxford saying that he had been elected as a Don to his college, which means in American English that he would be part of the faculty. So he went back and he specialized in Babi and Bahai. Then His good friend, David Hart, who actually was the one who caught the eye of the the foreign office, so that Grayson was able to go to Persia. David Hart suggested, because he was interested in ancient history, he wanted to go and see the digs of Herr Schliemann. The German archaeologist, who was at that time digging up what he felt were the ruins of Troy, so Hart wanted to see this. So he suggested that since some of Grayson's students would be interested in seeing the, the Middle East and using the languages that he was teach- that Grayson was teaching them. He could sort of make a, an excursion during the summer. He was able to do that and also Grayson himself was eager to do that because he had his grandmother's secretary to whom he was teaching the Persian language, which by the way wasn't something that was taught in Oxford at the time. If you studied Middle Eastern languages at that time in history, which is the end of the Victorian era, you would study Arabic, Turkish and Hindi because those were the countries that the British were most involved with. So Grayson had this non-official student whom he was teaching Persian to because she seemed very fascinated with it and she had a good ear for language so he wanted her to experience the language in the country of origin. So he took a group with David Hart and Hart's colleague named Cedric Gilman. This is when Rayson's small group is returning home after their stay in Iran. The following morning, the small band headed out in silence. By midday, they stopped at an inn for refreshments. This was the final stage of their journey. Sitting up to a table, Grayson was thankful that by sunset they would be in Constantine's capital. When the inn peeker came for the order the dawn selected yogurt and sorbet for the group. Then they waited. And waited still longer. Shoo, Robbie. The food's taken some time to come, ain't it? Dickinson observed, hiding his impatience behind an attempted humor. The order does seem to be late in arriving, Escott agreed. Attempting to ward off the agitation that was growing in the room, being the only ones in the establishment now made them even more uncomfortable. There was no tangible reason for the anxiety everyone was feeling, but it surrounded them all like the clouds of an impending storm. Well, perhaps the man had to go out, to milk the cow and freeze the ice, Gilman laughed, but it was a nervous laugh and no one joined in. Just as they were beginning to wonder if they weren't being set up for something, heavy footsteps and deep voices were heard outside. In shuffled, a mob of dusty, fearsome looking men wearing belts of bullets and carrying all varieties of weapons When the innkeeper entered with their order, one of the gunmen barked at him in a surly tone. The innkeeper muttered a few quiet words and then suddenly disappeared. This only served to unnerve Grayson's party further. The don, however, kept his features expressionless and his demeanor calm. What did the Turk say, Robbie? Cedric's voice shook with fear. Grayson's brow furrowed. I don't know. It's a dialect I'm not familiar with. Cedric Gilmer cut in again. Do you think we're about to be robbed? Bobby, do something, Phoebe wailed. There's nothing I nor any of us can do. And the worst thing is to panic. If we are robbed... It's better than being maimed or killed, wouldn't you say? They wouldn't dare do that, Gilman retorted. What about the British government? Do you seriously think these men give a farthing about the British government? Why, they probably haven't even heard of it. Grayson shot a sharp glance at Phoebe, who was now looking white. Cedric, too, was clearly desperate. But Helen absorbed Grayson's apparent calm and took her cues from him. The three students also did well at surmounting their trepidation. More footsteps were heard outside on the steps, and in came a party of two men whom Grayson sized up as Persian or Ottoman intellectuals. They frowned at the tension in the room, but sat down and ignored everybody. Eventually, Grayson said, so, are we all done? He rose to his feet. Don't panic. Simply get up and walk out as natural as possible. They only got as far as the door. That's it.
0: (laughs) That's that's great. (laughs) That's really great. So you hold us in suspense. That's terrific. (laughs) Uh, All right. So Kathleen, where can people find your book, The Persian?
1: It's on Amazon. They can buy it as a a soft cover or they can buy it as an e-book, which is much less expensive.
0: So I'm speaking with Kathleen Babb. So Kathleen, thank you so much for sharing your work with us, the book, The Persian, and sharing an excerpt with us. Sounds like a very interesting book that would hold the reader's interest. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kathleen Babb, author of The Persian. You can find her book on Amazon. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
2: I did get a grip Don't let them see you like this I say I'm ashamed of mankind But I walk a thin line So I slip If something's in the way Yeah, I'm known the trip It's more than I can take All eyes on me And it's more than I can fake But at the end of the day Man, all that I can say is My prayers to the most great When I'm down for the count in it too deep when I live day to day Start to lose sleep when I don't go to class When I don't call fam back, How long can I do this? How long will I last? I don't know God, I don't know If I am even worthy of your grace anymore I'm waiting for a sign But everything is a sign In reality the world is already mine I feel it in my veins, the fire When I cry out his name Oh my God Make my prayer a fire to burn away all my veils. Make of my prayer a fire, a fire, kindle in my veins, a fire, a fire. My God, my adored one, my king, my desire. Uh, I know that God gave each a purpose, but we all got to search way beneath the surface to find it. Like trying to unearth a diamond that always appears with the most perfect timing. So I start reading to find meaning and I see there is still something I am not seeing In between the lines, in my spirit, in the music, in the very air that I'm breathing It's the reason I feel forced to write, I recognize it inside me, that source of light Showing me that there is so much more to life, arming me with the fire because I got wars to fight I think about the breakers of the dawn And how they stood firm when the guns were drawn On the front lines, far from pawns Kings in their own right They're the ones who I call upon Whenever I lose faith I read the story of my name And realize it's never too late to believe And so shall my powers be I believed and he made a man out of me I feel it in my veins, the fire When I cry out his name Oh my God Make my prayer a fire to burn away all my bales. Make of my prayer a fire, a fire, kindle in my veins a fire, a fire. My God, my adored one, my King, my desire. Now when the swords flash, go full. Uh, when the shafts fly, press on. Yeah. Now when the swords flash, go full. Uh-huh. When the shafts fly, press on. Press on. When the swords flash, go full. Go. When the shafts fly, press on, press on When the swords flash, go full, go full When the shafts fly, press on, press on, press on
3: Together then the dove of peace will fly with two wings
4: The cold, how would the heat of the earth prevail? Your were <laughs> not for calamity. How would the sun of thy patience shine? Your sure not because <laughs> of the wicked. Dawning on the horizon of the covenant Among the stars of sedition And the yearning after God (laughs) you <laughs>
5: If we're not famous, think that no one will blame us Letting injustice go on as it does But the starving don't care about the price of your haircut Any true kindness will do Because Bono can't change the world anymore Voices and hands do more than any commands could Viving the spirits of all who surround you God bottom can't change the world anymore